Super Sunday. That's what some people call it today. Super Bowl, I think it's 56, will take place this afternoon. Cincinnati Bengals against Los Angeles Rams will uh, meet in Los Angeles for this game. And 70,000 people will fill that stadium. Uh, if you can imagine what it's like to be in a place with 70,000 people are yelling and screaming and passionate about their team and what's going on. And uh, it must be 70,000 people that are very well to do because the cheapest ticket to the Super Bowl is $5,822. Some people have paid as much as $100,000 for a ticket to the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking either they're rich or they're crazy or they're using somebody else's money. But 117 million people are expected to watch the game on TV. 117 million people. Can you just wrap your mind around that for a second? So many people are watching it that companies are paying $7 million for a 30-second spot to advertise their product. $7 million for a 30-second spot to advertise their product. And then, in addition to that, there will be $7.6 billion gambled. People will bet on who's going to win and what the score will be. And they will spend $7.6 billion betting on the game. Can you imagine what that amount of money could do to feed the hungry and provide clean water in remote places and advance the cause of the gospel? It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. And if that's interesting to you, the, the really kind of dark side of the Super Bowl is that during this week, drug dealers from all over the nation and human traffickers move into Los Angeles because they are going to have good business. That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Another statistic that just blows my mind is that adult-only websites, if you know what I'm talking about, report a drop of 20% activity during the Super Bowl. That is the only time during the year that those kind of websites experience a drop in engagement. I'm not being a Super Bowl hater by any means. I, I, I know that some families uh, are going to watch the Super Bowl and they're going to enjoy the sport. It is a mega event that brings together athletes and fans and the hospitality industry, the travel industry, and other things. It could be a wholesome kind of thing for some people, or it can be a self-indulgent debauchery for others. Some families will watch this afternoon, including mine, and, and will enjoy the sport and will laugh at the commercials. And some grow groups will gather to have fellowship and, and maybe have a, a Bible discussion before the game or even during halftime. We, we have begun providing uh, these uh, sermon notes that you can follow the sermon along and then on the back to have discussion questions, head, heart, and hands that you can use during a devotional like that, during a fellowship at your home or any given Sunday, Super Bowl or not. And that's going to be great when grow groups do that. But it's a reminder to me that all good things, all blessings of God can either be enjoyed with thanksgiving or they can become idols. That all blessings from God can, can either lead us to worship him because of his blessings or, or they can usurp the place that belongs to God and become idols. 
We're talking about worship this month. We, we're in a re-engage series, and we're talking about re-engage gather. Last Sunday, Eli did an excellent job of talking to, about, to us about who we worship. And today, I want to talk to you about why we worship. I want to call your attention to, to a mega event in the future that is bigger than any Super Bowl, than any Olympic Games. It is a very costly event, but you and I have the opportunity to be there. In fact, you don't want to be left out of it. And it is recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, if you want to go there with me. Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And the Bible reads like this. After this, I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a great chant that is. God gives John a vision of the future. In a moment of persecution that the church found itself in the first century, John is exiled in an island because of this persecution and God tells him to record this vision so that he can encourage the church. I know some people don't want to read Revelation because they think it's a scary book. Well, let me tell you, God meant it to be an encouraging book. He, he wrote it so that the church under persecution and suffering could be encouraged. And he talks about this mega event of the ages, a great multitude from every people group that no one can count, more than 117 million people. And they are worshiping God. It is clear that they know who he is. And they also chant why they worship him. And that's helpful to us today. So let's, let's, let's look at this here as we look at at the passage. Why do we worship? Why do we gather like we did today to worship? We worship because God reigns. The multitude in front of God's throne are singing a new song. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This multitude of people, which is the largest crowd that has ever been gathered in human history, is praising God who sits on the throne. John begins his revelation, his vision in chapter one, and he has a vision of who Jesus is. He says he's the Alpha and the Omega, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And then the Spirit instructs John to write seven letters to seven churches in Asia, and, and he does, and there's commendations for each of the church, and then there's reprimand for the churches to correct something that is wrong before the end. And when John finishes recording these seven letters to the seven churches, he turns his attention to what's going to happen in heaven at the end of times. And the first thing that he sees is God's throne. Revelation 4.1, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it and the one who sat there 
at the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. What an incredible vision that must have been. What an incredible moment that was for John. And the message I think here is that whatever the church was going through in this moment of persecution and suffering, what they needed to know is God is on the throne. God reigns. That whatever the church would go to for the next several centuries, the one thing that they needed to know is that God sits on his throne. There are some people who are curious about end time prophecy. What's going to happen at the end? How can we reconcile the newspaper with the Bible? Those things are interesting, but the most important matter in the prophecy and revelation is the fact that God reigns. He's been on the throne. He remains on the throne today and he will be on the throne when it is all over. Our God reigns. When God spoke the world into being from nothing, he said, let there be and there was, God was on the throne. When God called Abraham to establish a covenant with him, God was on the throne. When God lifted up Moses so that he could lead his oppressed people out of slavery in Egypt, God was on the throne. When Joshua led God's people into the promised land to conquer it and the walls of Jericho came down, God was on the throne. When David killed that giant and then was later anointed to be king, God was on the throne. When God's people were taken into exile because of their sinfulness and their idolatry, God was still on the throne. And when God brought his people back from exile and they rebuilt the city and they rebuilt the temple, God was still on the throne. When Jesus came to earth to establish God's kingdom, God was on the throne. When he died on the cross and the earth was dark and, and it seemed like evil had had its way, God was on the throne. When Jesus was buried and then he was resurrected from the dead, conquering over sin and death, God was on the throne. When the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost and the church was birthed, God was on the throne. When the kingdom of God advances, the church scattered in their persecution, God was on the throne. When the apostles died and the disciples suffered persecution and they were martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ, God was on the throne. When the Roman Empire ruled, God reigned over him. When the Roman Empire fell, God still was on the throne. When kingdoms have come and have risen and fallen, God continues on the throne. When there's peace and prosperity, God's on the throne. When there's war and famine and persecution, God is on the throne. When pandemics come and go, God is still on the throne. During every single US election, God has been on the throne. When I was going through the most difficult times in my life, God was on the throne. When I tripped and I fell and I was broken, I was undone. God was on the throne. When I got up and I triumphed and, and I did things that I didn't think I could do, I did it because God reigns. Whatever you're going through today, I'm here to tell you, God is on the throne. When it is all said and done and the end comes, God will be on the throne. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And that's why we worship him. That initial vision 
that John had of heaven in Revelation 4, he hears the heavenly creatures singing to God in Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. He is worthy. You agree? He reigns as supreme king. He reigns as creator. And that's why we worship him. Why do we worship him? Because he reigns. Why do we worship him? Because we realize our purpose. Paul Tripp tweeted last week. He said, every human being is a worshiper. The question is who or what? The question is not whether you and I are worshipers. Is what do we worship? Some people worship money. Some people worship sports. Some people worship work. Some people worship their family. Some people worship uh, their, their tradition. Some people worship their political party. Some people worship sex. Some people worship Hollywood celebrities. And some people worship the true living God. We were all created to worship. God designed us that way. God designed birds to fly. So they fly. Sometimes they, some fly better than others. Sometimes some birds fly in the wrong direction, but they're designed to fly. God designed fish to swim, and so they swim. God designed the lion to be a predator, so it hunts. God designed you and me to be worshipers. So we worship. We were made to worship. When, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he made them in his image and likeness so that they could relate to him in a way that no other creature could relate. So they could have fellowship with him. So they could reflect his glory, the crown of his creation, his masterpiece. I have a Presbyterian background on my mother's side and Presbyterians have something called the Westminster uh, Catechism. And the very first question of that catechism is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the primary purpose of man? And the answer in the catechism is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How true, how on point that is, that you and I, were created so that we could bring glory to God and enjoy him forever. And John supports that here in this vision of this multitude. This is a multitude that has accomplished their primary purpose. This is a multitude that has accomplished the way, the, the reason they were made. In, in Genesis, at the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God created man and woman to bring him glory. And then now at the end of history, we see men and women worshiping him. And, and, and they give us an example. They give us an invitation that we can become worshipers of that God. We can choose to worship God, the living God that is being worshiped here, or we worship something else. We will worship something or somebody. But when we worship anything other than the living God, we will be left empty. We, we will be left wanting. Jeff Warren, pastor of Park City's Church in Dallas, tweeted yesterday, he said, we struggle to say no to sin because we do not know or have not yet discovered the better yes. We're fighting for unrestrained intimacy with Jesus. For whatever it is, Jesus is better. Whatever it is that your heart invites you to worship, 
Jesus is better. I grew up in church. My parents were ministers, and so I didn't have a choice about going to church. I, I had to go, and I went to every service that the church had, every retreat, every prayer meeting, every prayer vigil, and sometimes it just seemed like church went so long, and I was a little hyper kid, and I would get distracted, and I would write on hymnals and sometimes on walls. I would pull pigtails on little girls. I would get in trouble. Almost every time we had church, I'd get in trouble for something, so I just thought it was just too long. I remember going to my grandmother's church and running up and down the aisles because I, it just seemed like a runway to me and having the deacons come up to me and grab me by my little arm and get in my face and say, son, we don't run in church. Those were some of my memories from church. Not all of them were that drastic, but uh, I just felt like being a preacher's kid was a hard thing and there were too many rules and there were too many things I had to do and things I didn't get to do. And so when I, when I became a teenager, I, I wanted to try other things. I, I wanted to do things that my parents didn't let me do and I started hanging out with the wrong crowd and I started pursuing significance in being accepted and, and I began to get in trouble at school and I began to make my, my parents sad heart sad and, and at the age of 15, I remember lying down in my bed and I was broken and empty. I've been chasing things other than God and I was left empty. And I remember the tears rolling down my cheek and telling God, what I really need is you. I need Christ in my life. I want you to be my Lord. And I prayed and I said, I, I surrender. I surrender all, 15 years of age. And it was almost instant that something began to change inside of me. I remember getting up the next day. My parents used to make me read the Bible and memorize scripture. The next day I, I got up and I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to pray. And not long after that, we went to a retreat, a young adult retreat. I remember it was in the springtime and, and we were out there around a campfire uh, on an evening. It was cool and some were wearing sweaters and jackets. Some just brought their blanket from their cabin and, and we were sitting around the campfire and, and we were singing songs and it just like, I just wanted to sing all night. And we we're singing songs, and worshiping God. I looked at the stars and I look at the crackling of the fire, which always has been a cool thing to me. I don't know. I think I'm a little bit of a pyromaniac, but uh, I was looking at the fire and thinking about God and, and, and then somebody would get up and give a testimony about how God changed their life. And then we'd keep singing. And then a young lady would get up and give her testimony, how God was working in her life. And, and we would rejoice with that and we'd praise God for that. And then we keep singing. Nobody was in charge. There was no schedule. Nobody was making us be there. We chose to be there. And we went on for hours and hours singing and hearing about the works of God in the lives of people. And I just couldn't have enough. And I realized I was made to worship God. And ever since then, I've discovered that when I truly worship, whether I'm gathered with the church or whether I'm alone at home talking to Jesus, that, that that's my place. That's where I find the deepest meaning of my life. Why do I worship God? Because that's what I was made for. Why do we worship God? Because we realize our purpose. 
We were made to bring him glory and enjoy him forever. Why do we worship God? Well, we worship him because Christ has redeemed us. If you've been around Calvary for any amount of time, you know that missions are important to us. It's in our purpose statement. 20% of our budget goes to missions. Every time you give a dollar here, 20 cents goes to support missions. We have a, a full-time missions pastor that has a, a staff team. We have missionaries that we support. We have teams that are sent out to encourage that work. In fact, we're commissioning a team today at the end of our service. Missions are important to us. But someone has said that missions is not the primary purpose of the church. In fact, the quote goes like this. Missions is not the primary purpose of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And we agree. The primary purpose of the church from an eternal perspective is not evangelism, and it's not missions, it's worship. When the church arrives at its final destination in redemptive history, what will be taking place is worship. There will be no missions, no evangelism, no Bible study. It'll be worship. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's purpose and desire is for every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language to be represented at this incredible event, at this incredible worship service of the ages. That doesn't mean that every single individual will be there. But God's purpose is that every people group will be there, that every nation will be there, that every language will be there. Listen, if we don't get used to multi-ethnic, multi-language worship here, we're going to have a hard time in eternity. Missions exist because worship doesn't means that our task as a church here is to invite every nation and every tribe and every people and every language to become worshipers. It is 2022 and there are still tribes in the world that don't have the Bible in their language. It is 2022, 2,000 years after Jesus came to earth and there are people groups on earth that do not know who Jesus is. And God's purpose is that they be represented at that great event at the end of the ages. And so until then, we have a task to do. Missions exist because worship doesn't. This song that the multitude sings is a song of salvation, a song of the redeemed. It praises God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To the Lamb. That's Jesus. When God made humanity in the Garden of Eden, he made them to be worshipers. And then the serpent showed up. And you know how the serpent tempted them? He said, you can be like God. You don't have to give God all the glory. You don't have to give God all the worship. You can take some of it for yourself. And, and, and Adam and Eve chose to do that. They, they were tempted to be like God. And the fellowship was broken. And the perfect state of worship that they enjoyed in the Garden of Eden ended right there and then. And every generation that has been born after that 
is born with a tendency to be alienated from God, to sin, to disobey. You know, no one has to teach us to make bad choices. No one has to teach us to do wrong. Even when we were very little, we started that. I don't know, some of you know that, that I have a grandson. And uh, he's 19 months, and he's struggling with this idea of no, when he's being told no. Uh, his mom, the other day, told him to leave the Apple Watch charger alone, and he understood what that meant, uh, but he had trouble with it. Would you like to see a video of that? All right, I'll show you, just because you asked. Just a reminder of what we are, right? We know. We know. And yet the pull is so strong to go in a different direction. We know that the Father loves us and, and he directs us and, 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 and it's clear to us what we shouldn't do. And yet we choose to go with our sinful nature. And it leads us away from God. And when we try to worship him, we, we still feel distant from him. Even when we try to get close to him, there's a pull in a different direction. Humanity has chosen to worship everything except God. And in that, we, we become idolatrous and we search for our own gods. We make ourselves our own gods. And the more we do that, the more humanity is broken and lost. Humanity is hopeless without God. But God did not give up on humanity. He called Abram so that through him, he would establish a plan of redemption. God called Abram and named him Abraham, the father of nations, a sterile couple that couldn't have children. He promised that he would make them a nation, the nation of Israel. And Israel's purpose was not to be the exclusive people of God. Israel's purpose was to show the rest of the nations who the true God is, so that they would worship him. And that's why God sent Jesus to, through Israel to us, to redeem humanity. When humanity was without hope and without God, Jesus came to bring us hope and to draw us close to God. When humanity was lost in sinfulness, Jesus came to die for our sin. When our hearts were broken and misguided, Jesus came to heal our hearts and restore us to God's original purpose. And if you have recognized Jesus as Lord, you know what redemption is about. Everyone who's trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Lamb, knows what it means to be restored to fellowship. When John saw this first vision of heaven where God sits on the throne, he also saw the lamb. And he heard the heavenly creature sing a song to him. Revelations 5, 6 says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy 
to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. These heavenly creatures are praising the lamb because with his own life, he has purchased a kingdom of priests to worship him and who will reign with him. Not just one nation, not just one race, not just one tribe, not just one language, every nation, every tribe, every language, every people group. It's a new humanity. The, the first humanity failed at the Garden of Eden. It was broken and alienated from God. And so God has raised for himself a new humanity in Jesus Christ from every nation, from every people group, from every language. It's a multitude that no one can count and they will worship and praise the Lamb for salvation. It's the song of the redeemed. You know that only the redeemed can sing the song of the redeemed, right? If you haven't been redeemed, you can't sing that song. You don't know what it's like to be forgiven. You don't know what it's like to be rescued. You know that the angels in heaven can't sing the song of the redeemed? They've never been lost. They've never been alienated from God. They've never been cast from his presence. They've never been forgiven. They've never been restored. They've never been healed. They've never been redeemed. Only the redeemed can sing the song of the redeemed. Why do we worship? We worship because Christ has redeemed us. About 12 years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a missions conference in Bogota, Colombia. And uh, there were people from every part of the world there uh, talking about how the mission was advancing in different parts of the world. And people came from different countries, different languages, different people groups. And as we gathered to worship, I remember there was a band that was leading us in worship. And, and you could tell that people were from different countries. You know, their physical appearance and their dress gave them away. The styles of music were different. The lyrics on the screen had five or six languages at a time because people were singing in different languages. And it was a really enriching experience to be with the, the global church in, in this place. I'll never forget when we came to the last service of the conference, we had communion. And the people that were officiating communion at the front were from India and Russia and Asia. There were indigenous people groups that had come from the mountains in Colombia and South America. And they were the ones that were distributing the bread and the cup to us. And I sat there in the back of that place as I looked and I said, this is what it's going to be like. This is just a little taste of that day when a great crowd from every nation, every tribe, every people group will be gathered and together, our chant won't be for a football team. It'll be salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And we will rejoice and we will enjoy God forever. Why do we worship? We worship because God reigns. We worship because we realize our purpose in that. We worship because Christ has redeemed us. I wonder today if you'll commit to be a worshiper, to be a true worshiper. I wonder if today 
you will make a commitment to join this multitude at the end of the ages and say, I want to be there. So I'm going to trust Christ. I'm, I'm going to accept his redemption that, that he offered on the cross and on the empty tomb because I want to be in that event. And I'm going to take as many people as I can with me. Will you? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for the reminder of why it is that we worship, how you are worthy today. And Father, I pray that as you move in our hearts that we would become true worshipers, that you would grow us to be the kind of worshiper that you seek and that we would bring other worshipers to, to the throne. So work in us right now as we respond, as we make commitments, maybe as someone here for the first time, trust Jesus, the lamb that was slain, to be their savior, their Lord. For the first time, he redeemed by Jesus. Let's stand together, church. We're gonna sing, is he worthy? Is he worthy? And we're gonna answer. Why would we do that? You make a commitment to be the kind of worshiper God wants you to be. If you haven't been redeemed, then pray that prayer right now, whether you're watching online or in person, and say, I want that redemption. I wanna be at that event at the end of the ages.